I learned this, at least, by my experiment. That if one advances confidently in the direction of their dreams and endeavors to live the life which they have imagined, they will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. They will put some things behind, will pass an invisible boundary. New, universal, and more liberal laws will begin to establish themselves around and within them or the old laws be expanded and interpreted in their favor in a more liberal sense, and they will live with the license of a higher order of beings. In proportion, as they simplify their life, the laws of the universe will appear less complex, and solitude will not be solitude, nor poverty, poverty, nor weakness, weakness. If you have built castles in the air, your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now, put the foundations under them. Henry David Thoreau, Walden, published in 1854. Hello, and welcome. This is Liminal Flares, bedtime stories from beyond and in between. Readings of eldritch literature drawn from the public domain and amended to be gender-inclusive. To remind us all that the relentless heteronormativity of this world is a falsehood and that we cannot assume to know a person's gender or their pronouns based on our own perceptions. But more than anything, this is a place for haunted and haunting gender-inclusive story time. However, before story time begins, this very first episode is about introducing myself, your narrator, and sharing how and why this podcast came about. My name is Micah. I'm queer, transgender, non-binary, and my pronouns are they, them, and zee, zem. Oh, one quick note before we really dive in. I want to acknowledge that identifying as non-binary means different things to different people. While I personally identify as a non-binary trans person, many people identify with a gender that falls under the non-binary umbrella. So from here on out, please know that when not speaking about myself, I'm using non-binary as an umbrella term. The name of this podcast comes from an essay I wrote about figuring out my own gender identity, entitled Liminal Flares, Unlearning the Gender Binary. In that essay, I discussed various things I had experienced throughout my life, things that I felt, thought, did, observed, things that captivated me, things that troubled me, so many different things that I increasingly looked back on over the years and began to recognize as clues. Luminous, liminal flares sent up for my future self to identify and interlink, revealing a winding path that led to finally seeing myself clearly and understanding that I've always been exactly who I am, 
My gender has always been this liminal, untethered thing. But I lacked the language to fully comprehend and then articulate that for a long time. I carried so much anxiety about coming out. I worried that it had taken me too long to figure out the source of the constant yet inexpressible sense of unbelonging that permeated every aspect of my life. Why I always felt so out of joint with my body, with my assigned gender, with other people, and with the world itself. Forget about being understood as a non-binary trans person. I worried that cis people in my life simply wouldn't believe me, that those who'd known me for a long time might feel that I had misled them. I worried that other trans and genderqueer people would tell me that I was mistaken about myself, that I didn't belong among them either. I had so many worries about coming out, and I say that as someone for whom coming out did not immediately put my life, my home, or my job in any danger. I'm very fortunate to live in one of the U.S. states where there are laws prohibiting discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation, where gender-affirming health care for trans and gender-nonconforming children, teens, and adults is much more accessible than it is in many places where the state government is not actively trying to erase transness, gender variance, or queerness, not pointedly working to extinguish trans lives, and where it is both possible and relatively easy to change one's gender marker to a non-binary or third designation. And even so, I still felt anxious, vulnerable, and insecure. Writing that essay helped me acknowledge and process many of my fears, the predominantly supportive responses that I received helped ease some of them too. But what helped me the most was speaking with other trans and non-binary people about their own experiences. I quickly discovered how common my worries were, and found tremendous validation in the similarity of our experiences, for better and for worse. The recognition and encouragement that I received from each of those wonderful individuals was life-saving. It was offered freely and generously, and made me feel equal parts inspired and indebted to do what I could to help validate and companion others in turn. Publishing that essay felt like sending up a wholly new sort of liminal flare, this time for others who exist somewhere beneath the vast and kaleidoscopically beautiful umbrella of gender variance. Perhaps they would identify with aspects of my story, or simply recognize that it's never too late to pick apart and piece yourself together. After coming out, I felt new, like I was beginning to wake up from a very long dream, which is not to say that my life hadn't felt real before, it was just off. I was off, and I had spent years searching, blaming, misattributing, and suffering in ways that had nothing to do with what was actually wrong. Now I was still me, but openly moving through the world with a sense of myself that felt true that made beautiful sense, rather than being at odds with literally everything. Which brings me to this podcast. Well, almost. There's one more important piece of context. After coming out, I began to transition, which in turn meant learning to live and move in a body that gradually stopped being something it felt like I had to operate from a distance. I've described it as existing inside one of the cavities on the Operation Game Board, 
desperately trying to avoid touching the metal edges because everything inside of me would scream each moment it inevitably happened. Gradually, my body became something I could begin to discover how to fully, joyfully inhabit and use to authentically interact with the rest of the world. For most of my life, my voice was a source of intense gender dysphoria. Since childhood, long before my egg cracked and I understood the why of it all, before I even understood that this profound distress has a name, Every time I spoke, my body betrayed me by producing a voice that felt and sounded terribly, painfully wrong. Part of my transition concerned working to make my voice feel and sound like my own, and that included voice training lessons. Shout out to Donnie, my outstanding voice coach, for making the process so fascinating and fun. This podcast would not be possible without you and all the work that we accomplished together and to the school itself, your lessons now, for making trans voice training so accessible, even during lockdown. If you or someone you know is interested in voice training, I've included links to their website and social media in the notes for this episode. Between my weekly voice lessons were hours of practice, for which I was continually pulling books from my shelves and looking up monologues and poems online, all to read aloud. While doing that, I experienced the same painful, unavoidable issue that I encounter everywhere else in life. Language that completely ignores gender variance. Language that pretends that people outside the gender binary do not exist. Language that makes me feel invisible, and tells me that anyone who isn't a woman or a man simply doesn't matter. If you are non-binary, genderqueer, gender non-conforming, gender expansive, Whatever umbrella term best encompasses your own unique gender identity, this world continually, actively, denies your very existence. The gender binary, the system which classifies every person as either female or male based on the gender assigned to them at birth, is so extensively intertwined with our society and the English language that people enforce it all the time sometimes intentionally, but typically without ever realizing how their word choices instantly other and exclude all sorts of people on a broad spectrum of gender identity. It's inescapable, it's exhausting, and it can wear you down. For example, the use of collective phrases such as every man, woman, and child, or ladies and gentlemen, or Men and women, girls and boys, sons and daughters, guys and gals, sisters and brothers, he or she, his or hers, and so on, is an act of erasure, treating the gender binary as universal and summarily excluding anyone who is not a woman or a man. This sort of casual, habitual erasure occurs everywhere, throughout print, broadcast, and new media, in workplaces and classrooms, at doctor's offices and fitness centers, in public restrooms and changing rooms, on countless needlessly gendered products in every conceivable type of store, in any mention of or discussion about sexual and reproductive health that only describes them as women's or men's issues. It happens whenever abortion rights are only addressed as a women's issue. And do not get me started on the fundamental wrongness of gender reveal parties. It happens via the assumption that people who date only have girlfriends or boyfriends that those who are married only have husbands or wives. It happens on all sorts of paperwork and on web forms, in surveys and web analytics. It happens in casual conversations, 
you name it. For some of us, it often happens at home. If you are non-binary, there are so very many ways the world repeatedly tells you that you don't merit consideration, let alone inclusion, and the impact on individuals living in a society that constantly refuses to even acknowledge your existence can be devastating. Studies by organizations like The Trevor Project have shown that it is quite literally life-threatening. Language matters. The way we talk about and speak to each other overtly and subconsciously affects the way that people perceive and value themselves and those around them. Whether or not it affects you personally, using gender-inclusive or gender-neutral language, as well as learning and then using people's pronouns, does more than make non-binary people feel seen. It reminds everyone else that we exist and matter too that we are part of the world and just as deserving of inclusion and representation as anyone else. I've read articles and social media posts pushing back against implementing gender-inclusive language, as well as the use of neo-pronouns. And one of the most common arguments or complaints is that it's just too much work to change the way we communicate. It's more than people can remember or be bothered to try and remember. And you know what? Yes. Change is hard. Change is not passive. It requires effort, deliberate, ongoing effort. But here's the thing. If it's not too much work to learn someone's name when you first meet them, then you can also learn their pronouns. If someone you know somehow changes their name, and people do this for all sorts of reasons, you don't tell them it's too much work to remember to use their new name. Or at least, I hope you don't. And if it matters to you to call someone by the correct name, then it should matter every bit as much that you're using their correct pronouns, too. And remember, these aren't preferred pronouns, they are simply someone's pronouns, period. And if you care enough to learn and use people's pronouns, you should care enough to use language that doesn't pretend the world is only made up of women and men. Even if that feels awkward, that's okay. Learning and growth are often inherently awkward processes. For as much as I'm complaining here, I also want to make it clear that even the smallest effort makes a real difference. For example, if you catch yourself or a friend misgendering a person in conversation, and we all mess up sometimes, correcting yourself or politely correcting that friend is truly helpful. If you mess up and let it slide, possibly hoping that the person you misgendered didn't notice, and I guarantee we always notice. You're doing harm. You just are. Mistakes are inevitable, and that's okay. It's refusing to even try that's harmful. Our intentions don't matter if our actions, or in this case, inaction, still causes pain. But I cannot overstate how beneficial it is when you catch and correct yourself or that friend. All it takes is simply stating the correct pronoun and then carrying on with the conversation. That's it. This truly makes a difference, even if only in one person's day. You may not have any idea of what else is happening in their life right now, so making them feel seen, like they matter, even just for a moment, can have a profoundly positive impact. And if the person you misgendered isn't present when someone messes up their pronouns, correcting each other is still important. It makes it clear to everyone present that correctly identifying people matters. 
This is modeling and normalizing respectful, inclusive behavior for each other. And it's how we all get better at this. Heteronormative language is something we are conditioned with from birth. It's so completely woven into society that unlearning it and actively being inclusive in one's speech requires continuous effort. Which, finally, brings me to the origins of this podcast. Still with me? As I was using all sorts of literature for voice practice and continually encountering that exclusionary language, I finally decided to stop wincing or rolling my eyes, and instead tried a little experiment, just for fun. As I read aloud, I swapped the outdated use of he, him, his as default catch-all pronouns with the neutral pronouns they, them, their. I did the same thing for heteronormative assumptions about the gender of some characters, and I took instances of unnecessarily gendered language, such as collective nouns, occupational titles, salutations and honorifics, and made them all gender neutral. These are such seemingly insignificant changes. They don't alter the surrounding stories at all. And yet, the moment I began to read pieces with these little amendments, something shifted for me. Gone were all the small yet cumulatively painful reminders of otherness. Suddenly, I could enjoy the stories, the scenes, the writing itself, and the feel of the words as I spoke them. It wasn't just easier to focus on my practice, which was my original intention. I actually felt better in myself. The more pieces that I amended, the more it felt like I was creating little literary havens for myself. Places where anything is possible, be it marvelous, mundane, horrifying, or somewhere in between without ever smacking into language that breaks the spell of the fiction by excluding anyone who isn't a woman or a man. And I began to wonder. If reading literature with these small, inclusive edits made such a difference for me, perhaps it might do the same for others. There is tremendous value in seeing yourself represented in the stories you consume, be they books, comics, movies, TV shows, video games, songs, plays, whatever. The internet is full of stories from people searching for reflections of themselves and celebrating the inclusion of people like them. People who share the same race, ethnicity, cultural heritage, the same disabilities, the same neurodivergence, the same sexual orientation, and yes, the same gender identity. While it's fair to say that many forms of representation are very gradually improving in mainstream media, Relative to the sheer volume of entertainment of all sorts created each year, stories seldom feature open, normalized depictions of trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming characters. On top of that, the very nature of heteronormative language makes it crystal clear to audiences, whether they realize it or not, that anyone who isn't a woman or a man, a boy or a girl, doesn't exist. So not only are most stories bereft of non-binary and genderqueer characters, they don't even linguistically allow for the possibility that such people might exist. Shout out to a few recent exceptions on TV that have made an impression on me, by which I mean that this should not be taken as a complete list of what's out there. To Our Flag Means Death for offering so much genuine, heartfelt, and affirming non-binary and queer representation. Vico Ortiz, you are magnificent. To the earnest and beautiful queer, trans, and non-binary representation on Star Trek Discovery, Blue Del Barrio and Ian Alexander, you both make my heart swell. 
to the Umbrella Academy, to sex education, and to Rutherford Falls. And I'm still sad that the live-action Cowboy Bebop series was canceled. I desperately wanted to see more of Mason Alexander Park as Gren. Tantalizingly brief though their role was, watching them and basking in their fabulousness did me an enormous amount of good. Thank goodness we can now enjoy them playing Desire in The Sandman, to say nothing of wonderful, wonderful John Cameron Mitchell playing Hal Carter in the same series. By the way, Mason Alexander Park is also in the new Quantum Leap revival. Anyway, whether you're a child, teen, or some sort of adult, it is a terrible feeling to read a story, play a game, or watch a movie or show, and constantly be reminded via the most basic parts of speech that you aren't considered part of that world. All of the entertainment that does this further reinforces the real-life misconception that the gender binary is universal, and it is horribly easy to then fall into the trap of wondering if you are valid. When the stories you consume communicate that people like you don't exist, when the waking world makes it clear that you don't even matter enough to be included in basic grammar, what happens to your self-worth? So, what I'm here to do with this podcast is the exact opposite of that, to entertain you with eldritch stories and poems that do not exclude anyone based on their gender. Using pieces from the public domain enables me to edit them without violating any copyright. With a little pronoun switchery, and employing gender-inclusive terminology in place of unnecessarily gendered heteronormative words, I am creating spaces for those of us outside the gender binary where there weren't spaces before. I am saying yes. People like you and me exist in this or that story, this or that poem, this or that fictional world. Because no matter how often we are overlooked or erased by individuals in wider society, we are here. We have always been here. And we do matter. You matter. And the world is richer for it. To be very clear, my goal here is not to erase all use of the pronouns she, her, hers, and he, him, his. I am not trying to pretend that women and men, trans or cis, don't exist. That's just as harmful as pretending that non-binary people don't exist. And those very same pronouns are also used by many non-binary people. Others draw from an ever-growing array of neo-pronouns, and some don't use any pronouns at all. When amending pieces for this podcast, I use the gender-neutral pronouns they, them, theirs, because they can describe a person of any gender, which means no one gets excluded. If I've done my job well, unless perhaps you are intimately familiar with whatever piece I'm reading, you may not notice the changes that I've made, which is, of course, the entire point. Heteronormative language assumes and conveys that all people are either women or men. By its very nature, it excludes even the possibility of anyone else. I can't avoid noticing that, which is why the frequency with which it happens is so detrimental, whereas gender-inclusive language makes room for everyone. As you listened to the passage from Walden that I read at the very beginning of this episode, did you notice my edits? I often hear people use phrases such as men and women, clearly thinking that they are being inclusive by mentioning women. And while that is an improvement on outdated sexist language, we can do better than that. We need to do better than that. How helpful it would have been for me and countless others to grow up in a world that already did better than that. I will always wonder how much earlier in life I would have understood my own gender. How much pain, confusion, and doubt I would have spared myself had I seen examples of trans and non-binary people from childhood. 
had I read books like Gender Queer by Maya Kobabe, Dear Santhurin by Akweke Amezi, or Between Me and You, Transitional Comics by Casey Counselor, just to name a few of my recent reads. If I had even heard words like transgender, non-binary, gender fluid, or gender queer, had I grown up with language that didn't condition me to believe that there are only two genders in the first place, even though I knew from a very young age that somehow I didn't fit either of them. Instead, I just felt inherently wrong in myself all the time, without understanding why and without being able to articulate that wrongness, without understanding that there wasn't actually anything wrong with who I am. I will never know what difference that would have made for me, and there's nothing that I can do about that. But I can try to help other people feel seen, valid, and included. I am not saying that this little podcast is going to change the world. But, beyond the heteronormative status quo, in the face of increasingly aggressive efforts to silence and erase queerness, transness, and gender variance, my hope is that this podcast will help more people feel like they belong in this world, to help them stoke their own flares, liminal and otherwise. So, to all of you out there beneath this vast and kaleidoscopically beautiful umbrella of gender variance, you matter. You count. I see you. I know that this can be hard. I know that there are truly terrifying and incredibly harmful things happening in the world right now. Just as I know that for me, being queer, transgender, and non-binary is amazing and beautiful. Each time I feel myself erased, I think of you. I remind myself that you exist, too. I remind myself of how much it sucks that you know what this erasure feels like, too. Each instance of erasure then becomes a moment when I actively try to remember that I am not alone. In thinking of you, in seeing you, I strive to make my own liminal flare feel visible. May these haunted and haunting stories and poems, amended to be gender-inclusive, read to you by a non-binary trans person, help you and or people you know and love feel more valid and seen. And may we all help illuminate each other. Thank you for listening to our first episode of Liminal Flares. I hope you've enjoyed our time together in this twilight space. Our music is by The Parlor Trick. Audio Engineering by Meredith Yayanos. If you have a favorite author or a specific piece of writing, a short story, poem, or passage from a book that's in the public domain in the U.S., I welcome your requests for future episodes. You'll find links to archives of public domain literature in the resources section of our website, liminalflares.com where you'll also find more information about us, this show, and individual episodes as they air. Submit your requests via the website or via social media at Liminal Flares, where you can follow us to learn about future episodes and keep up with what's happening behind the scenes. Next time on Liminal Flares, I stop going on and on about myself and why I'm doing this, and kick things off properly by reading The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, 
This was the very first piece that I amended just for myself, so it seems fitting that we should begin there together. I do hope you'll join me. Tell your friends to join us too.